The city of San Diego purchased the former Sempra headquarters at 101 Ash Street in 2017, hoping to provide more space for city workers close to City Hall. Despite claiming the building only needed a power wash, the building was riddled with asbestos, causing a series of construction delays. This boondoggle has cost taxpayers millions, and now city leaders are starting to feel the heat for their mistakes. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. To get a deeper understanding of what's going on, we have two reporters from the Watchdog team. We have Jeff McDonald and David Garrick. David, you typically covered City Hall, and Jeff McDonald, you cover a number of societal ills, including 101 Ash Street. Why don't you explain how did we get here? How did this purchase of this building begin? Well, in 2016, the mayor's office recommended that the city council approve a 20-year lease-to-own arrangement that would um, allow the city to move in 800 or so employees who have been clustered around different leased office space around downtown for some years. Uh, Semper had moved out, uh, I think in 2014, maybe in early 2015. We had this vacant high-rise there that was 19 stories of unused office space. Uh, The staff described it as Class A, uh, executive-level workspace, and told the city council that it was a, a terrific deal and that they would be able to move in uh, by the summer of 2017 with the... Having a little bit of connection issues there. Um, So, uh, David, why don't you uh, tell us, who are some of the leaders that uh, approved this purchase? Can you kind of give us a sense of the players who were involved? Um, Well, I mean, the the mayor, as Jeff pointed out, was sort of the the driving force behind it. He controls the real estate assets department. He appoints those officials. Um, But, I mean, there was a lot of pressure on the city. The city had increased its uh, size of its workforce under Mayor Faulkner to more than 11,000 workers. So, I mean, the, the problem they were trying to solve wasn't made up. That was a clear problem. They didn't have enough space. They didn't have enough parking spots. They didn't have enough desks. So they had to find a way to solve it. And Ash Street seemed like a good solution, except for what we ended up finding out about the building subsequently. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you explain what was the the first moment in which people were beginning to become aware that this building wasn't what it was sold? It didn't just need a power wash. It needs a lot more work. Well, we didn't find out about it until the spring of 2018. Uh, They were already about eight months late in uh, plans to move in and occupy the building. Uh, When I first started looking at it and the documents they gave the city council and read that it just needed a $10,000 power scrub, that they could house 800 workers by July of 2017, uh, we published a story in the spring of 2018 saying, hey, look, the city was supposed to move into this building. And by the way, they're spending $18,000 a day to lease a vacant building. Um, That story uh, gained a lot of traction, not surprisingly, because of the big numbers. Uh, The city's answer was that they'd run into some planning and design issues related to a renovation that needed to happen because they um, raised the number of employees they wanted to house in the building. And because of uh, add up to 1,100 office workers, that required upgrades to the mechanical systems, uh, the electricity, the, the uh, electrical, uh, the heating and air, lots of, um, lots of things that weren't uh, anticipated uh, a year or two prior. Uh, so that's when they first started running into difficulties. Those renovations are what created some of the asbestos contaminations, uh, the, the asbestos exposures, I should say, that, uh, that resulted in 2019 with some county uh, violations for uh, for uh, asbestos exposures to workers and not handling the material properly. 
Yeah, this problem uh, has been obviously ongoing for the city for some time, but it appears that there's been a lot of action this week, uh, specifically involving Mara Elliott. Uh, David, can you kind of recount the controversy we've seen recently? Well, it was sparked by something last week. Last week, there was a, a meeting about this particular uh, problem and, and uh, some investigation of it, and a document was leaked to the media, and Mara Elliott was frustrated that this document was leaked. And so she was supposed to have a closed session meeting. Those are typical once a week meetings she has with the city council about lawsuits the city's facing, what legal issues the city's facing. Um, and typically she gives the, the council ahead of time documents to study and look at so that they're prepared to have an intelligent discussion when she says, should we sue? Should we not sue? Should we settle? Right. And this week she decided she wasn't going to give them the documents. Kind of a first of its kind, bold move, a change in policy. Council members were frustrated. She said, I'm worried there's going to be another leak. I'm not saying it's you, council member. It could be your staff. It could be someone else. But I'm worried there's going to be a leak. Council members got frustrated and said, we're not showing up unless you give us the documents. Mara said, please show up, but you're not getting the documents. Uh, and they didn't end up showing up. It was kind of a standoff. Uh, and I guess she lost because there was no closed session. And now, because the council's on legislative recess now through early September, for five weeks, these legal issues that she wanted advice on Tuesday morning, she's not going to get for five weeks. None of them are earth shattering. They don't appear to me, but it's still kind of a, you know, uh, an unfortunate circumstance that I think you probably could blame her since she changed the policy and she's the, she made the change that prevented the regularly scheduled closed session from happening. Yeah, it seems like within City Hall at this point, everyone admits that this was a terrible decision and they're just kind of playing hot potato with blame. And because the election is around the corner, it's an even hotter potato than usual. Well, that's key, especially in the mayor's race, because Todd Gloria, who's an assemblyman now, he's, he's running for mayor, but he was on the city council when the initial decision to do this lease to own deal was made. And so it's easy for his opponent, Barbara Bree, who's a councilwoman, to pin it on him and say, Todd was here. This is a terrible decision. But, of course, Todd can deflect blame and say that Barbara has been around during a lot of subsequent decisions that also could have been handled arguably differently. And so he can argue that she's at least partly to blame. So it's, it's kind of a hot potato between the two of them. Um, and I think if you look at the, the city's uh, management structure, too, the COO is Chris Michelle. But Scott Chadwick was the COO. He's now the city manager in Carlsbad. But he was the city's COO, which stands for Chief Operating Officer. He was the COO when the, when the decision was made. So Chris Michelle would obviously not, not like her legacy to be this this uh, this Ash Street debacle. So she'd like to say that Scott Chadwick is, is to wholly to blame. Scott Chadwick would obviously like to say that subsequent decisions after he left were, were bad and that he's not fully to blame. So you got that kind of situation. And that's why these documents are getting leaked. Because anytime a document favors one person or the other, it's going to get leaked because the person it favors wants everyone to see that document, despite the fact that it's a confidential document. Mm -hmm. And we actually have uh, started to see some fallout when it comes to these decision makings. Uh, the city's real estate planner, Cybelle Thompson, has left. Uh, Jeff, why don't you explain how that all happened? Uh, we learned about her resignation yesterday. The city did not announce it, which I find quite curious. I asked them about that yesterday and they didn't respond or explain. Uh, so we credited the Voice of San Diego in our reporting because uh, they scooped us on that and good for them. Uh, she's the latest uh, official to depart the city uh, in response to the Ash Street uh, issues. Uh, earlier this year, the deputy chief operating officer, Ronald Villa, he too was asked to, uh, to leave and, uh, and lost his job uh, related to the Ash Street after 
the city moved in uh, up to 800 workers in December and then were forced to evacuate just a few weeks later. Um, it's unclear to me how much Ms. Thompson uh, directed this transaction. It seems like it would have been above her pay grade, but uh, so far she and Mr. Villa are the only two to fall on their sword. Uh, we've heard from uh, Chris Michelle before the city council early this year after the uh, evacuation where she pledged to get to the bottom of this. She said the mayor and getting to the bottom of what happened, uh, almost as if they weren't aware of what happened themselves, which um, I think anyway, uh, earlier, uh, not, not earlier this month, late last month, the, uh, the city did release a report, one of their uh, forensic reviews asking an independent uh, law firm to uh, go over everything that happened. And their finding was that uh, uh, the city did, did not do the assessment and the uh, uh, evaluation of the deal terms that they agreed to uh, ahead of time as they should have. So that was news that broke early last week. And uh, and then the uh, the termination or the departure of uh, Bell Thompson followed this week. And, and I should point out that the leaked document came during the in the midst of all of this. And the leaked document was connected to all that. Another thing, Jeff mentioned the evacuation. We should tell people that after all of the back and forth and turbulence, city employees actually did move into the building. I believe it was December or January. It was this, this past winter and then had to quickly move out after just a few weeks, maybe a month in the building because of asbestos and other issues. Yeah, in a sense, that creates kind of even more chances for, you know, possible litigation because it's possible that someone got exposed to asbestos, the city worker, as well as people who were doing the renovations. So that's kind of making a bad situation worse. Yes, the, it's going to continue costing money. Uh, city already has filed, uh, has uh, been targeted by uh, more than 20 legal claims filed by employees and construction workers alleging they were wrongly exposed to asbestos. So those will be adjudicated as they uh, as they are over coming months. Um, also, the city council tomorrow is going to be presented with a list of options that uh, the mayor's office is seeking direction on what do we do now. And uh, I don't imagine they're going to relish being in that position. One of the estimates that uh, that the city's consultant came up with said that all of the appropriate repairs uh, in all the different mechanical systems, the asbestos remediation could exceed $115 million. Uh, so that's not going to be an easy pill for anybody to swallow. And we'll have to see what happens with that at the special meeting of the city council on Thursday. One side point to make, but it's connected to this, is that Sabelle Thompson was t spearheading the city's decision on what to do with the sports arena site. She's head of real estate assets. That's a key site, and the city is in the process right now of choosing between two development teams to determine which direction to go on that. And she was the person in charge of that. She put all of her time and energy and emotional strength into that. And so she was my point person on that. So I'm not saying that there's not a lieutenant who can jump in, but her departure will arguably adversely affect that process. Certainly can't help it. Yeah, it's, it makes sense. A city as large as San Diego, that this position is quite important. And having this departure now amid the pandemic and amid the loss of revenue is not great. No, so, I mean, just institutional knowledge. When you lose institutional knowledge, it's always a tough situation. city has an enormous amount of real estate, enormous amount of property. They've been shifting their policies on it. And one, obviously developing the sports arena uh, area, but also turning excess land into potential sites for affordable housing. And Sabelle has been sort of handling that. 
you know, we have little corner lots, the city owns little corner lots that, you know, are, are not useful for anything. Maybe they got they got it when a road was widened or shrunk or rerouted, you know, and maybe they could put like a 12 unit apartment complex on that. So that's been sort of a new directive as the city faces a housing crisis. And I'm not saying someone can't come in and look at her notes and be up to speed in a few weeks. I don't know. But losing her can, can't really help that process. And uh, finally, um, as more information about this deal and the decision making is kind of coming together, we're getting a, a fuller picture of exactly what happened and why. What are some questions that both of you have for city officials that you hope we can get an answer to to understand the missing pieces of this transaction? Uh, Jeff, when do you go first? Um, my favorite question is how this happened and how you could buy a building and commit yourself to 200 plus million dollars uh, without doing the due diligence. Uh, it was clear to me two years ago when I first reported this that uh, somebody had dropped the ball. Uh, and uh, it doesn't seem plausible that you would make that kind of investment without doing the due diligence. So the suggestion is that they just decided they wanted the building and they would uh, pick up the pieces later. Uh, which is understandable because they were under a space crunch. It's a it's a prime site because it's just north of City Hall, and it would be a terrific annex. Uh, I've been inside the building. The executive quarters are are terrific. It's very plush. It, this was the, uh, you know, the world headquarters for a Fortune 500 company for several decades. So, it's understandable that it would be uh, you know desirable, uh, but to overlook all of the uh, all of the due diligence that appears to have been uh, ignored. Uh, really uh, defies explanation. Well, explain to me, Jeff, on the appraisal, because there was a controversy where they didn't get appraisal for the skydiving site that they were going to turn into a homeless shelter. So, I mean, why is it not absolutely just an essential element of any property purchase for the city to do an appraisal, or is it, and how did it not happen in this case? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. We don't know the answers to that specifically. I can tell you that the bill building was appraised at about $72 million uh, a few months before the city signed the lease. Um, it also sold 50% of the building, just under 50% of the building sold for $20 million in 2016. So that would put the overall value in the $40 million range before the city started sniffing around saying, hey, we really think this would be a terrific addition to our portfolio. Uh, how it happened? I think that because the city was basically self-financing. It's a lease to own. They didn't need a lender to um, uh, require a bunch of due diligence and a bunch of documentation that you or I as a homeowner would have to uh, go through. I think because they basically leased it on a, on a or bought it on a 20-year uh, fixed mortgage, uh, as I said, they're paying about $535,000 a month, and they're going to own it uh, in 16-plus years uh, because they've been paying on it since January of 17. Uh, I think what happened, the only explanation that makes sense is that they simply decided they wanted it, uh, figured they'd, uh, they'd do any cleanup or take care of any uh, crossing all their T's and dotting their I's later, and they closed on it quickly, uh, second day of January 2017, and, uh, and expected to move in, and unfortunately, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't to be. And uh, David, do you have any further questions about this entire debacle? I don't. As I mentioned, the mayor's race, you know, is, is a getting tighter, apparently. And I think this issue is going to continue to come up and be used certainly by Barbara Bree as a way to sort of attack Todd Gloria and, and blame him for this. Mm -hmm. And if I'm a disgruntled member of the city or someone who has information and wants to share with the watchdog team, what's the best way of doing that? 
Uh, my email address is at the bottom of all my stories. It's jeff.mcdonald at sduniontribune.com. Uh, we welcome all tips, and uh, we keep stuff in confidence all the time. Mm-hmm. And mine is at the bottom of all my stories. It's david.garrick at sduniontribune.com. All right. David Garrick, Jeff McDonald, thank you both so much. Thanks. Thank you, Daniel. In other news, San Diego County plans to spend $1.8 million over the next six months on a task force to enforce public health orders. The 22 staff members will take calls and follow up on businesses not following the rules. The action is the latest sign the county is taking a more aggressive stance toward violators of the health order, which has prohibited indoor activities for gyms, churches, and restaurants, among other restrictions. The new call center collects reports from the public about compliance concerns, a task that had been conducted by the county's 211 hotline. In July alone, there were more than 4,000 reports to the hotline. The county confirmed another 348 cases of COVID-19, bringing the cumulative case total to 30,864. Another 10 deaths were confirmed, bringing the region's death toll to 578. The San Diego Union Tribune is hosting a contest to create the best public service announcement to remind people to stop the spread of COVID-19. We're soliciting listeners like you to come up with the best PSA for print, digital, or video. The winner of the contest will get a grand prize of $2,500, and their PSA will be published in the UT in various formats. The winner will also have the opportunity to be a guest on Fox 5 San Diego's Morning News. You have until August 16th to submit. For more details, go to uniontrib.com slash stop the spread. Until next time.